keep yeah. going, right? So he's having yeah. a hard time. All right, guys, I think we'll get started. Um, it's about 25 people on. Um, thanks so much, Mark, for giving up your, um, your holiday weekend. <laughs> so, Welcome. Back in the UK. Uh, good to see you again. We had trying to yeah. get, get you over here for May, obviously, for a training session, but yeah. Uh, yeah. next best thing. I'll get in the garden and do some work with you. Yeah, so that's a, a bunch of questions. I'll, I'll kind of guide the conversation a little bit. I'm going to focus yeah. on individual player development, and then we'll open up the um, room for questions from everybody else. So, guys, you, guys, you want to put in the uh, chat, go ahead, and I can ask all those questions a little later on. Uh, maybe just start, Mark, with. Um, a little bit of your background, your coaching journey. Uh, a lot of the yeah. guys in the call haven't actually worked onto you over here. Yeah. Um, not as yet. So maybe a little bit of background regarding your, your coaching journey and then maybe a little bit chat about your new role. Yeah. Okay. No problem at all. I'm going to attempt to share the screen. So uh, right. you, let's see how it goes. Let's see how it goes. Here to go. Okay. Um, okay. Can you see the um, PowerPoint? Uh, not, not yet. No. Can you see that now, Ian? Uh, I can't. No, not yet. There you go. I see. Oh, no. Try that. Can you see it? Not as yet. Oh, no. <laughs> Technology at its best. Let me see. I have to give you. Uh, let me see. I'll make you host. Is that better? Okay. Let's try that. I'll make you host. Yep, yeah, okay. Okay. Let's see. Okay. How do we get on? Yeah. yeah on now. Yeah. There you go. Got it. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. So, um, guys, apologies for my very Wolverhampton English accent. Okay. I can always slow down if you need to. So just tell me to, to stop. Or slow down. Um. Here. Yeah. Okay. If we mute everybody, uh, apart from you and I. Are we okay to mute everybody? Yes, I've done that. Yeah. Perfect. Um, yeah. I'll back again. I'll just double check it. Um, no, you can't hear anything. Yeah, a little bit of feedback. They might have done it for you automatically. They heard you talking. When you're on a Zoom call, you can find that mute button here. Yeah, that's Because otherwise, there's so many sounds. Go on participants, Ian. Yeah, I've got that. And then there should be a mute all. I actually did that already, but it's not. Oh wait, did you, did you, you made Mark host? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, so me, Mark, um, Mark would have to do oh, Mark, it. Yeah, yeah, Mark. Good. Yeah, good, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, good show, Danny. Yeah, cheers, Danny. Um, yeah, go to participants, Mark, and then you should see uh, mute all. Where's that? Sorry, Ian. Uh, participants, I think yeah. at the bottom, uh, bottom panel. Participants. Oh yeah, mute. Yeah, yeah, mute all. It should be good. Yeah, perfect. Okay, so Ian, it's just he, me, and you now. Yes, correct. Yeah. Yeah, perfect. And you can see my screen. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Perfect. Okay, guys. So just to introduce myself to, to you guys, um, I'm Mark Campbell. I currently work for a company called the Professional Game Academy Audit Company, which is shortened by PGAAC. Um, my job currently is a coaching auditor. So my job is to go around all the clubs. We work with the Premier League clubs, who majority of the, the um, 
the clubs that I work for are Premier League clubs. I also work with the FL clubs and work alongside the FA. But predominantly, I work for the Premier League uh, as an auditor, just inspecting the coaching programmes that clubs, the clubs are offering and looking at the coaches and how they work with young players like yourself. Okay, um, 18 years coaching experience in a variety of roles. So I've worked with young players, senior players. I've worked with females I've worked in schools. Um, I've worked with the England under-15s team. So I've worked in a lot of different capacities in, in my coaching roles so over the 18 years that I've been coaching. My last role before I joined the Premier League was as a head of coaching at Wolverhampton Wanderers Football Club. Um, so you guys will know they're in the Premier League. The, the um, sitting quite high, doing quite well actually, which is good. Uh, and we are a Category 1 academy. I say we. They are a Category 1 academy. So my job when I was previously at Wolves was to manage the coaching staff, look at the playing programme that the coaches would, would deliver and also make sure that all the best players and all the players had an opportunity to learn in a good environment. And the coaching that was being delivered was, was spot on, really. So getting some of the best coaching in the world um, from the Wolves coach staff. As you can see, I'm a UEFA A licence coach. Um, UEFA license coach. I also have an FH Youth Award, which means I've got the ability to work with specific age groups. I'm a sort of expert, as it were, in working with young players. Um, and as Ian said now, as I said, I'm currently working for Premier League um, with EFL and PL uh, Academy coaching staff. Okay. Stop sharing for a second. Okay. Okay, so that's a little bit about, about my role, guys. So some of the fun stuff is watching young players like you guys play uh, and train, and I work with coaches to make them better and make the players better in England, basically. So that's my role. But previously at Wolverhampton Wanderers, I've worked with Morgan Gibbs-White, who we'll talk about a little bit later on. We've worked with uh, Theo. Again, we'll talk about him. Uh, I've worked with some other professionals that are playing either in the, in the Premier League or in the EFL uh, currently. So that's been my job over the last 18 years or so, working with, with young academy players all the way through the age groups. Good stuff, Mark. And then maybe can explain for everybody a little bit about the, how, the, how the academies in England are set up regarding category one, two, and three. What are yeah. some of the criteria? What are some of the rules and regulations around that? Yeah, great question. Uh, and that's part of my new role now to assess which academies are category one, two or three or four. Um, so basically, boys, in England, we have a, a rating system. So each category, each academy is given a category, whether it's one being the very, very best, two, three or four. And then some of the criteria that we judge the academies on is the coaching programme, the players that have come through and gone into the first team or gone on to play professional football, uh, soccer for, for different clubs. Um, the education programme that the clubs have in England as well is really important uh, and also the training facilities. So again, if you came over to England, has anybody been over to England to train with an academy? Hands up if you have. Anybody? No, not quite. Um, one thing you'll notice in England is that some of the training facilities are excellent. Um, some of the programmes that football clubs, soccer clubs are having in England with the very, very best players uh, a second to none. So my job is to look at is this academy worthy of Category 1 status? Is it the best coaching program, best facilities available for them? Uh, not quite the best. Maybe there'll be a Category 2, which, again, provides a slightly um, reduced program, 
maybe it's uh, less education time at the football club, maybe it's um, slightly different games programme, and again, category three or category four. So each academy of all the 92 clubs in England uh, is categorised, whether it's category one, two, three or four. Um, yep. Just a theory behind that, boys, when it was initially um, put together about eight or nine years or so ago, was really um, to get some of the better players working at the best academies. So categorising academies, so Manchester City would be a category one, Wolverhampton Wanderers would be a category one, Man United, etc. Really, in theory, you'd get the best players at those clubs um, to get the best players working with better players and better coaches. That was interesting too because actually Wolves were not the highest league when they actually got category one correct. So it wasn't based upon their league position or what league they're in. It was really the quality of the coaching, the quality of facilities and so forth, right? Yeah, spot on. So when we uh, last went through a, an audit, so I was currently at the at Wolves then, and we were given category one status. We were actually rated third best academy in the country um, at the time. So we were behind two small clubs, Man City and Chelsea. Um, <laughs> But yeah, we were we were third best in the country at the time. So I was currently head of coaching at Wolves when we were when we were recognised as being the third best academy in the country. So facilities, coaching staff, education program, all those things combined, they re- they recommended that we were we were top three. And in terms of coach, the, the journey for the player, Mark, they start off uh, uh, in academies at the age nine, uh, signed as young as age nine, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So officially, um, clubs can register players at U nine. Um, some clubs will have players in at U6. I've been to a top academy that has players at U, sort of U4 and they're training in the academy facilities. So it's a, it's a scary journey for you guys um, and your friends back in England. But at U9, you can officially register for an academy. Um, but again, like I say, some academies will have them in a lot, lot younger and work with the coaching staff a lot. And when I say that they're, you know, working with academy uh, academy coaches at U5 and U6, that is probably three sessions a week, plus the, the sessions that they're doing with the junior clubs, um, potentially playing with the school mates as well. So in England, they, they, they do a lot. And it's, you know, it's our job as an auditor, but also a coach to manage the amount of time that these kids are, these kids are doing. So in terms of number of hours a week, uh, Mark, um, U12, for example, at Wolves, they'd be good mm-hmm. like 10 hours a week, is that correct? Yeah, so the official guidelines around how many hours the, the players should be doing, I would say the players at Wolves would be doing 10 to 12 hours a week. Um, some of the better players that would be on a slightly different education programme could be doing around 14 hours per week. Um, but what, what we did as, we, as, as I sort of left Wolves was looking at the coaching programme. Do the boys need to be in as much? What's the quality of the workload when they are actually in? You know, maybe it's better to have better quality rather than the quantity of errors. So, you know, that's what we had to really analyse and look at look at the young boys' welfare as well because it's a, it's a tough programme. Um, you know, I know you guys travel a lot in terms of your games programme, but some of our boys would be travelling to Swansea, which is like three hours away for a game on a Sunday morning. So we really had to look at what was beneficial for the players. And that was achieved by bringing the kids out of school and more, wasn't it? I think they had a Dave release programme as well. Yeah. Yeah, so again, some of you boys will, will like this, but we used to take the players out of school. Um, so they would potentially miss some of our better players four mornings a week. So they would come straight into the academy um, four times a week in the morning, train and do some education as well. So it wouldn't just be football. It would be English and math lessons, then go and train and go back across to school, um, depending on the ability of the player. Some players would do uh, one full day with us. So they would come in on a Tuesday or Wednesday, uh, Wednesday daytime, work with our coaching staff, but also work with our education team 
and our physios and our sports scientists as well. So it wouldn't just be football when the boys came in. It would be football, education, sports science, rehab if they needed it. It would be a large, large program when they came in. Um, we also had professional soccer players as well that would really work on specifics for the individual. So some of you guys might remember Darius Vassell. Nah, you too young, you guys. <laughs> young. Darius Vassell, Google him, Google him, Google yeah. him. Uh, he played for England in the World Cup. Uh, yeah, Paul, is it Paul down the bottom? Oh, I can see Paul. I think he remembers him. Yeah. So uh, he played for England in the World Cup. Um, so he's one of our, one of Wolves' coaches now, and he would really work with the strikers. So if we had a striker that needed to work on finishing, Darius would work with him, for example. And that's what we tried to do, get experts, expert coaches in each area to work with the players even more. And there's some, some dedicated skill sessions as well, I believe, for the, the groups coming in, right? So depending upon their age, but there's, you maybe have an hour before the training where it's a dedicated skill session. Yeah, 100%. And again, some of the stuff that I've seen you guys do on your, uh, on your Instagram here, and it's exactly what we'd be doing with the boys at Wolves. So it'd be one-to-one stuff. Each player would have their own development program. So we'd identify what skills they needed in each area. I know we'll cover that a bit later, but we'd have an expert skills coach to really work on that player. Maybe groups of one, maybe two. If it was ball manipulation, right, you're going to have 30 minutes of ball manipulation work. If it was something different, they would go and work with that specific coach on, on that area. Um, we'd also give the, the, the boys some ownership as well. So they could go into small groups and practice themselves. Um, so there's lots of different ways that we would work with individuals to make sure they got the best out of the, of the session. Last time I was over, Mark, at the Wolves Academy, I actually started a player-led sessions. I had the players themselves yeah. organise the sessions. Yeah. Are you seeing a lot over the EPL academies? Yeah, it's something that is really important to, to, to EFL and PL academies, um, giving boys ownership of their learning. So again, you guys are at the moment experiencing the same as us in lockdown. So I'm sure it's going to be down to you guys to, to work on your, your own specific stuff. So you, you haven't got a coach always helping you. You might be in your back garden, in your yard um, practicing. And again, that's what we want the boys to do. Take the ownership for themselves and really develop their own skills and develop stuff that they need to work on. Um, they'd have around two, two hours a week at the academy to really practice on that. Um, again, before training, they get there early, practice themselves. After training, some boys would stay. Or there's also specific slots that they could, they could work on those things as well. And that's the, that's the obviously the social aspect of the player, right? In terms of communicating with their peers, communicating with coaching staff, uh, be able to talk to adults and so forth, correct? Yeah, yeah, it's massive. And again, we have a lot of interaction with players. So as coaching staff, we'd work with players 10, 12 hours a week. But we really thought they would benefit from working and leading their teammates in, in practicing themselves. So it's great that we're telling players what to do. But if they can get their teammates and give them some leadership and instructions, that's even better. That really, really helps bring players on. And we've seen a lot of that in, um, in, in PR academies now. Good, excellent. <clears throat> Uh, in terms of education, Mark, how big a component is education with the academies in terms of uh, giving support to the players? And obviously the, um, the players are out of, out of school a bit more than a normal child, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So what kind of support do they get in terms of the, the clubs providing support for that? Yeah, and again, that's part of my, my role at the moment as well is really assessing the education programme um, or part of my role. Um, and again, they're getting, they're getting a lot of support. The, the top academies, the Cat 1 academies, will have specific teachers who would work with players in groups of six five or six in small classrooms and really work on elements of the education that they're missing. So again, I can only speak about Wolves, the program when I was there. Um, but what we would do, we would identify the lessons that the players were missing from school when they were coming to the club right. and get, uh, give them some compensatory education. So give them the education they were missing 
when they were on site at Wolves. So they really wouldn't miss much of the, of the school day because they were getting the education with us. But we felt it was so important. Um, again, I don't, I don't know if you guys know stats in terms of the, the, the academy sort of success rate for footballers. But again, you're looking at 1%, less than 1% of boys that join academies at U9 across the, across the country in England make it to be professional footballers. So it's really important that they have some education, you know, to not even to fall back on, but to support their, their learning. And, you know, again, the stats are against young footballers. So uh, we need to make sure that they are, that, you know, they're prepared for, for life after football, really. Is that much better than it was a few years, a few years ago, Mark, in terms of support for that? Yeah, yeah. I think, I think it's getting slightly better. Um, but what clubs, are, what clubs are doing is identifying earlier, you know, the, the potential for players and also giving them a little bit more time. A lot of clubs now have U23s. Right. which gives them a little bit longer to stay within the system just in case they're not quite developed in time or if they see potential in the players, uh, they gave them a, a little bit longer. There's some research out there sort of saying that the smarter players in the classroom are also the smarter players in the field. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And we, we really sort of emphasised, and again, I see a lot of good clubs doing this work, is emphasis on learner first. So if you can be a good learner off the pitch, yeah. then you're going to be a smart player on the pitch. And again, if you look at some of the top players now, they're smart, they're learners, they want to improve all the time. You know, Ronaldo, he's just an athlete, not on the pitch as well, but he works so hard in terms of his own development. Um, you see that a lot in young players coming through now. The better players are the ones that are smart learners. Good stuff. Um, a question I get asked by parents a lot is, what kind of attributes do pro clubs look for? Obviously, the four corners, right? What, what are the yeah. key attributes that um, yourself, you know, Wolves and other coaches will look at in terms of young players? Yeah, um, yeah. If we go for each corner again, the four corners you mentioned are really, really important. Technical ability, um, the ability for players to to dribble, to pass, to receive. Both feet is good, but again, I've seen some of the stuff that you guys are working on with your homework program here, and that's what we want from our players: the ability to manipulate the ball, take players on one v one, defend one v one, dominate your opponent. Um, that is something that all academies looking for. Tactically, players need to be able to understand understand the game, understand the positions, um, why they're in that position, and what the, what's the rationale for it. That would probably be sort of U13, U14. We want that, that element from players, not at U9, for example. And we see some coaches that, that are coaching tactical work <laughs> at U9. And if I had hair, I'd put it out. Um, but yeah, we see, we see a lot of that. Um, so technical ability, yes. As you get older, tactical understanding. Physical, again, there's different elements of the physical requirements that academies want. Some academies want big, physical, strong players. Some academies want small, uh, agile players. Again, it just depends on which academy you're at, really. Um, but again, you can't control your physical development. You can't control when you grow, how you grow, how big you're going to be. But what you can do is work on your ABCs, your agility, your balance, your coordination. That is some of the stuff that you can affect, guys. And that's really important for, for you to be a successful soccer player in England. Um, and probably the biggest one is psychological corner. You know, we talk about mentality, we talk about being good learners. Those players that make it success, especially in England, um, are those that are res resilient because, boys, it's not going to be a straight curve upwards to be a soccer player. You're probably going to go sort of up, down, up, down. And if you're lucky, you get to the top. But it's that resilience to deal with negative feedback. It's to, to deal with criticism. It's to deal with losing games, winning games. It's There's so many requirements for the players to deal with, with the game mentally. That is such an important area. And the best clubs that we see are the, the clubs that support the players psychologically. 
whether that's again it's a homework program helping develop that it might be um a program we did at walls was around pressure training so we put the boys in pressurized situations to help them deal with that pressure and that physical sorry that psychological stress but we'd support them afterwards so some of the clubs that are doing that sort of stuff to help players develop psychologically is, is really really good practice uh, and that's what again if you're a top player in england you've got that psychological resilience and that determination to be a soccer player and you mentioned also, Mark, that clubs have different perspective on the type of player they're trying to sign, right? Wolves may, may sign a different kind of player than, for example, Reading, who may look more stronger, more yeah. physical boys, correct? Yeah. And again, what we're looking for as a, as a coaching auditor is not one size fits all. So again, Club A will be completely different to Club B. Um, if you're a small player, it doesn't matter because some clubs will want that player. Some clubs want a big, strong player. As long as the club is recruiting and developing players in terms of what they set out to do. So they are the statement, we want big players because this is how we play. And that's my job to make sure that the clubs are delivering what they say to do. And the coaching programme is, is geared to support that. So again, you see a lot of clubs looking for small technical players as well as big, strong players. Um, if you've got a big, strong technical player, then you've got a chance. <laughs> One of the things, Mark, I was impressed when I first came, uh, went over to Wolves was um, in terms of coaching staff conversations, no one ever mentioned results at the, at the academy. It was more about talking, discussing players, how they're yeah. progressing the previous Saturday as opposed to what the score was. Yeah, yeah, that's, that was massive. Again, it's, it was massive when we were at Wolves. Yeah. We, the result wasn't important. The result became important at U23s. Um, maybe U18s, but U23s really, um, because that is really when, when players are making the, the strides towards the first team. Before that, it was really genuinely who was the best player on the pitch, who did well, who needs to be, who needs to be better, what can we do as a coaching group of staff to make sure the players are better. Um, again, what was the team performance like? Well, OK, well, we played against you know Manchester City, for example. They were just better than us. OK, no problem. We, that's fine. You know, and again, it's not about the results. It's about performance, attitude, and, you know, again, the players have tried and have worked hard. One of the things I've actually, as a coach, I've done over here, Mark, a little bit, is mixing age groups together. And yeah. I've seen a little bit of flack from that from time to yeah. time. But um, obviously, being over in Europe, I've seen that uh, be quite successful in terms of developing players. Yeah. Yeah. Again, peer-to-peer uh, -peer learning. So players working with good players, we would put U12s in with U16 sometimes because if they could handle it, they can cope with it. They're good enough, then there's no problem yeah. because clever players will find a way to deal with an under 16 who's bigger and stronger. It will hopefully just make them develop a bit quicker mentally. So we wouldn't have a problem. And a lot of clubs in England don't have problems with mixing, mixing age group players. Um, one thing that I found when we'd have teams come over from the US or individuals come over from the US and Canada is that because you guys are gifted players, you probably play a year up uh, at home. And then when the guys would come across to England, they'd expect to play a year up against UK kids. And in effect, it's probably better to play a year down just because the, the, the pace of the game is so much different between the US and, and, and England. So um, when you mix age groups, it's really important that you do it for the right reasons. And there's rationale behind it. And also you support the players when they train up. You, you also support the players when they come back into their own age group as well, because that's tough. Yeah. And you've had the benefit of Mark working with players from North America plus also Asia as well, right? So yeah. what, are you, what are your sort of thoughts on what you've seen in the last couple of years regarding the quality of players from those areas compared to players back in England academies? Yeah, I think the quality of the US and the Asian players that I've worked with is getting better every year. Every yeah. year that I go across and I see players working with good coaching staff like yourself, you can see them improving. Um, I also see some players that aren't being supported by good coaches 
and that's difficult because they're not improving at the rate that they should be. Um, I always think, though, that when players come to England, they're surprised by the pace of the English game. Um, the English players are technically and tactically so quick. Um, physically, sometimes US guys are ahead of the English players in terms of physical development, but where the English players have a bit of an advantage is the technical and tactical understanding that they're so quick. They understand the game and they move the ball so quickly. Um, and that is one thing we would always say to, to players coming over from North America is, come on, you've got to get used to the speed. If you're a good player, you get used to the speed and the tempo of the English game. Um, and players like Theo, who we'll talk about later, he can deal with that, that, that speed. Um, and that's one of his qualities, really. It's interesting. because I first time we were to Wolves in 2012, Mark, uh, England wasn't really considered as the best production line of young talent in Europe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, probably Spain and Portugal were ahead of that. Uh, but right now, the best players in, in Europe are coming out of England. Yeah, and I think it's a testament to when the Premier League changed the categories, introduced the categorization system probably, like I say, eight, nine years ago, possibly 10 years ago now, because it really gave clubs a focus. It gave clubs the chance to, to, to look at the coaching program, especially in real good detail, and then assess what they were doing. And again, there's no, uh, it's, no it's not by chance that players now that are coming to play, as you say, some of the top players in, in England and in Europe, have come through this system. So Jaden Sancho, I remember when he came to Wolves to play against us at, at U16, and I've never seen a player like him. Really? Yeah. Oh, my goodness me. He, uh, <laughs> he terrorised our, our fullback. Yeah. But again, you could just see straight away, Jaden Sancho, Phil Foden played in the same in the same game, right. um, both against Wolves, and Morgan Gibbs-White played in the same game. So oh, you had really? those three England internationals on the same pitch. Yeah. And, you know, you look at those guys, Callum Hudson-Odoi, Tammy Abraham, those boys are now really sort of top of the game and because, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. of the academy system now he's, he's so strong in England but the job now for, for myself and the team and all the academies in England is to make sure those standards stay high yeah it's a good thing too with Chelsea last year because of the, they were actually banned from, from uh, buying players uh, yeah. you know, the young talent a chance right so the sort of yeah. teams that the clubs giving young English players a chance are yeah. getting awarded from yeah. those boys yeah and I think the best clubs provide a pathway for players um, you know, so the most successful clubs that I've seen are ones that identify the best player young early. So again, more Gibbs White. We yeah. identified him as a as talent at 16 or, or younger, but at 16, we gave him an opportunity to, to train with the first team. And then what the club did was keep that pathway open for Morgan to say, no, we're not going to sign another centre midfielder or, or another number 10 as Morgs plays sometimes. We're going to keep the pathway open for Morgan because we know he's going to play and he could be a, you know, a 20, 30, 40 million pound player as long as you give him the opportunity. And that was, that's important. What, what, what age were uh, Wolves kind of tracking him? Uh, 13, 14 and thinking he may be one of the ones that will come through? Yeah, well, uh, we'll, go on, we'll go on to Morgs in a second. I'll put some slides up about, yeah. about Morgan. But I think sort of you 14 that was when we sort of said, you know, this kid's going to play in our first team. Yeah. And, you know, conversations around his pathway and how we get him, get him into the first team to, and stay in there yeah. were happening around that age group. And we, we did a lot for Morgan. And, you know, I'll come on to that in a sec as well. He actually played against uh, one of our teams when I'm over there and absolutely terrorised us. <laughs> oh God, really? I think it's he's taken off at halftime. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what the players thought about when they played against him. Yeah, well, yeah, it was good. Uh, yeah, that was a good chance. I may pull up the slides with a bit Morgan and uh, yeah. go through that process. Okay, I've got to share my screen again. Oh my gosh, <laughs> pressure's on. <laughs> okay, yeah, no pressure. Wow. Okay, let's try. Okay, 
Okay, yeah. So we've got Morgan on, yeah? Yeah, we do. Yeah, perfect. Okay, guys. So Morgan Gibbs White, um, England international, first team player at Wolverhampton Wanderers, World Cup winner at U17. Uh, he won it two years ago. If you look at the top of the picture, that was Morgs when we were in France. He was U12 then, um, laughing and joking, and that was very much his character. And the picture at the bottom is Gareth Prosser, who was previously the caddy manager at Wolves, um, with Morgan in the middle and his dad, Kirk, next to him just after he had won the World Cup for England at U17s. Um, and Morgs actually scored the goal, which was the equaliser against Spain, and and if I've never, if I can, can't even stress how proud I was when he scored that equaliser. You know, it's it's such a surreal moment knowing that a player that you've worked with, a is playing for England in the World Cup final, but, you know, b scores the equaliser. You, you know, there's clips of him running towards the fans, and you know, he's, he's just he's just brilliant. You know, I'm smiling there because I, you know, I remember <laughs> it. It's, it's fantastic. Um, and again, here's some of the key attributes of, of Morgs. And what I'm going to do is quickly. Just put a quick video up. Can you see the video? Uh, not as yet, but give a can you time. see Morgan on the screen in a wolf shirt? Nope. Uh, I just uh, see uh, key attributes as a title. Okay, let me just try and get this one up if I can. Um, Share screen. Can you see that now? Uh, not yet. Should be a video. Heard not some, quite. Yeah, I heard some audio. Yeah, some audio. It's not getting the visual up for some reason. I was going to um, just show a quick video of Morgan, but no problem at all. Yeah. No problem. I'll. Um... Sorry, guys. There we go. You got, yeah, can you see yeah, it? Coming now. Great stuff. Perfect. See it? Yeah, it's all good. Okay. So apologies for the footage, guys. I haven't, not accessing Wolves footage anymore, so uh, I had to YouTube it. But these, these are more Morgan's some of his highlights. And in a second, guys, I'll talk about his key attributes, but again, you can make your, your own judgment for some of these. Maybe not shoot him. Thank you. 
Good stuff, Mark. Well done. Okay. Yeah. Well, share again. Hang on. Hello at the Halifax, wherever we're working from. We're all working. Okay, Ian, what can you see? Uh, I just see the, the heading again, key attributes. Yeah, perfect. Okay, so guys, some of the key attributes for, for Morgan, and hopefully you saw it, you saw these in the video. Technical ability, he can pass, he could receive, he could dribble, and he dominates his 1v1s really, really well. Uh, and again, I know you guys are working on 1v1s a lot in terms of your program and the ability to handle the ball. Um, and look after the ball in, in, in tight situations. And that was something that Morgan had in abundance. And that was probably going through, through most of his, his time at the academy, really. He'd always want the ball in or under pressure. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if he had a player around him, he had two players around him who was comfortable in receiving the ball under pressure. Um, so that was really something that technically was, was important for him. And that's why you know, he's developed as he is. Um, Physical ability, he wasn't the biggest, as you can see in, the, in the, the footage. But what he did have, he was quick, he was well-balanced, and he was coordinated. So, again, he gave the ability to really sort of wriggle out of tight situations. And, again, when he's got his, his back to a defender, he could pass the ball quickly and then move around him. So, guys, my, my point on that one, is it doesn't matter if you're big or strong or small or however you, your physical size is, but if you can be balanced and coordinated and agile, that will really give you a chance to be, you know, the, the best soccer player you can be. Um, tactically, he understood the information given by the coaching staff. You know, he wouldn't always listen, but he would always <laughs> understand what was asked of him. You know, and one of his key attributes now is he finds good pockets of space. And um, hopefully, you guys know what I mean by that. He finds spaces in between lines, midfield and defensive lines, and he can pick the ball up in those spaces and either turn and drive at players or pass the ball back and, and then move again. So his understanding of space. And his role on the pitch was really, really important. Um, I've put their opportunity because a lot of players with his ability don't get the opportunity to play or train with the first team. They don't get the, the opportunity to, to um, stay in the first team environment for as long as, as Morgan did. And that's because all the staff believed in him. The first team manager believed in him. The sporting director, who was the previous, year, previous academy manager, Kev Farwell, he believed him, believed in him. And all the academy staff, myself, his 18s coach, academy manager, everybody believed in the opportunity um, and the potential that he had. Scott Sellers, who is now the new academy manager, but previously 23s coach, gave him lots of opportunity. But also, we weren't afraid to, to um, restrict and limit his opportunities. If, for example, he didn't keep his grades up at school or he had a school game, we'd make sure that his school games were important so he had a chance to practice some of the stuff in, in the school environment. He didn't always have to play for Wolves. And we really think that was important for, for Morgan in, in terms of his development, not always playing for Wolves Academy, but having different chances to play. Again, school games for England. Um, I was there when he made his debut for England in France. Uh, he scored a header against Brazil on his debut. You know, again, lots of different opportunities for Morgan to, to, to do different things. And I think that really helped him. Um, we, so, we spoke earlier about the psychological and how important that was. And Morgan had ability. But he had the X factor as well, and he knew it. He knew he had confidence in ability. He had that winning mentality. If a coach would say to him, Morgan, that's not quite right, he'd question it, but in the right way. Um, and then he'd want to know the answers, you know. And if he knew he was right, he would he'd, he'd speak to the coach and staff and say, No, I think this is right. Um, and that was really some good mindset, good demonstration of mindset, you know, when he was growing up all the way through. 
Um, I remember when he first came to Wolves as a seven-year-old, he ran onto the training pitch with a Manchester United shirt on, which was good. <laughs> That's a bad um, move. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he still succeeded. <laughs> but uh, yeah, when he first came on the training pitch, very first time I saw him at seven, you know, he had a big smile on his face. He just wanted to train and play and learn. And again, guys, I can't stress that is such a massive factor because technical and tactical ability won't get you through alone. Um, and the last point I make there, he's a winner, you know, and he wins in everything he does because he's so mentally strong. And you know, he's won the World Cup there and you can see him, you know, holding the World Cup as a 17-year-old, having scored in the World Cup final in India. Um, and it's, you know, it's a great feeling. It's a great feeling for him and it's a great feeling for all the staff involved in, in developing Morgan. So, um so yeah, those are some, some of the attributes Ian, that yeah, Morgan had in his time in his journey. He also had some uh, major challenges and setbacks along the way as well, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he did. Um, at school, sometimes he didn't enjoy school a lot of time. Um, so what we did, we moved him to one of our sort of private partner schools, and that gave him the chance then to to develop his academic um, side of his, you know, his, his academic side, but also have the flexibility that he could play football for the club as well. Um, so we knew that he was going to be a professional footballer when we moved right. him across. Well, we, sorry, we hoped he'd be a professional footballer, um, but also we thought it was important for him to keep his grades up and have that structure that allowed him to to work at school, but also have the flexibility to come to the football club as well. Um, right. Also, he played in school games, you know, and again, that's really really important for him. Good, good stuff. Uh, let's move on to Theo. Um, I actually mm-hmm. just making some notes today. Um, that yeah. first camp you did over here in Ancaster was one hundred. 101 degrees. <laughs> yeah. I remember it was so hot. My, my, yeah. The astro turf was melting my boots and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we actually had uh, four players out of that camp. Uh, Theo, obviously, went to Wolves yep. U18. Yeah. Uh, Stefan, right now, is playing in Serbia, uh, first division. Okay. Wow. Julian okay. Altabello is now yeah. at uh, Toronto FC and playing for Canada's U20. Canada, yeah. yeah. And also, uh, Ryan Robinson is now at Toronto FC as well. So, uh, those four boys came out of that one camp. The first camp over here. Wow. Oh, yeah. my goodness, mate. That was my coaching. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's all you. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just joking, boys. Let's have it. That's the first thing you saw, Theo. Let's have a chat yeah. about maybe um, well, your first impressions and obviously a little bit about his journey since. Yeah, no, when we first saw Theo, yeah, I remember the conversation that you, myself and Dan Watson at the time had, had a bear with him. And, you know, he was 10 years old at the time. 10 years old? Yeah, he was, yeah. Okay. And, you know, we were saying, look, this kid, if he was in England, He'd be in the academy straight away. We we would take him to today at Wolves, but obviously he's based in in, in Canada. Um, we knew he was Romanian background, so we knew there was an opportunity. But also, it would be so so difficult to move a boy across at, at ten years old. And we thought, you know, obviously for yourself and our contacts and keeping in communication, but we keep a track of him as much as we could. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, as soon as we saw him, he had two feet, confidence, ability, clever, bright boy as well. Yeah. Um, and had that sort of good attitude that you'd want from a player, but you know his ability to handle one v one situations, receive the ball in, in tight situations as well, he really stood out even as a ten year old. And then we sort of lost lost, lost touch with him really yeah. um, until about five years later when we were doing a camp back over in in Canada again. And I remember speaking to you saying, "Ian, can we please get Theo to <laughs> this camp?" And I don't know what you did, but you got Theo to this camp. And um, yeah, he, when we saw him turn up again, we just we just knew this kid's got he's got to do something for him to get him across to England. Um, when I got back home a couple of weeks later, we tried and tried to to logistically get him a trial in England. Right. Um, 
and there's a couple of factors around why we couldn't get him across, which I won't bore you guys with the details. But we, again, we identified him thanks to yourself and the support, you know, through for the program to see him again. And I'm, it's just a really strange story. And Ian, I remember telling you as well. Two years later, uh, I'm training at Wolves in the in the indoor facility, and I see this kid walk past the the, the glass door, yeah. and it's like a, like a ghost. And I thought, <laughs> never Theo. So I ran out, stopped my session, ran out, and it was Theo, and he just walked past, and he, he was on trial at Wolves. Correct, yeah. It was so, so strange that basically um, he had an agent then, and his agent contacted Wolves, and he came across for, you know, a two or three week trial. And, you know, I gave him a hug, and it was great, great to see him, and we, we had a chat, and subsequently signed for Wolves. But yeah. I'm absolutely convinced that the interaction that we had on your camp with him was the reason why he signed for Wolves because there was yeah. professional clubs that wanted him to, to sign for them in England. Yeah. He had a, a choice of, you know, probably three or four clubs to sign for. Um, but yeah, I'm absolutely convinced that the fact that we saw him twice, especially the second time and, you know, the, the constant communication we had with his family and for yourself, um, that's the reason why he signed for Wolves. And he's, he's now a professional footballer at Wolves. He's just finishing his U18 season. So next season he'll go into the U23s. Uh, and he's also a Romanian international, I believe, Correct, as well. yeah. Yeah. Um, very strong family and in fact yeah. Theo made a choice to go to Toronto FC in the, in the meantime uh, instead mm-hmm. of go back across at one point and then um, the family actually gave me a call and said he's actually wants to go to Europe so that's kind of yeah. led to that, that situation but uh, actually I sent a note a couple, couple of months ago I was asking him about some of the things that made him the player he was and he said yeah. Ian he goes what I used to do after training was go home and spend time in my basement or by my back garden a couple hours at least after yeah. the session he goes no one told me to do that it's because yeah. I had a d- deep passion for the game and that's yeah. one of the things I think that comes out in, in, in him as a player. Yeah. And I can genuinely say I haven't seen a, a youth player who's so naturally two-footed as Theo. Yeah. You know, and, and guys, I, I really do believe it's important to work on your super strength. So if your right foot is really good, like Messi, Messi's left foot is outstanding. So I really think that you can work on your super strength. If that's something that you're really good at, keep doing it. But, you know, it's, it's really important. If you can become two-footed, fantastic, because it helps you in so many situations. And Theo is naturally so two-footed. I've never seen a, a, a young player like him. Um, and that was one of the things that really caught our eye, especially when he came back over. So especially when we saw him at, th- at 15. You know, it, you know, Theo, what foot are you? I'm oh, on both. <laughs> All right, yeah, what foot are you? Yeah. And, you know, he genuinely was both-footed. And, you know, yeah. he's, he's a great kid. But you, it doesn't surprise me that the fact that he would work and work. Um, yeah. He just wanted to be a soccer player and you could awesome. see that mentality, that determination, yeah. Do you want to touch, Mark, upon the FIFA regulations regarding international players? Because obviously it's a factor for our players. Uh, yeah, of course. America. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's difficult and there's lots of legalities and red tape around, uh, you know, guys from North America coming across to, to England. I don't think it will help with Brexit because we're leaving the European Union, so that probably make things even more difficult, potentially for signing players. But currently, uh, players are not able to, to come across to, to England from, the, from North America till 18, I believe. Um, and unless you've got a European passport, which again, I think you can move slightly younger. Yeah, but 16, again, yeah. yeah, the situation also is that you cannot move across to England for football footballing purposes. So you cannot say, I'm going to go and join Academy One because I'm going to play for them. You know, you'd have to move because your parents had a relocation for the job. So it's very, very difficult to, 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 to work around that. We, um, we signed a boy from Singapore Wolves. His dad was English. His mom was Chinese, but he was based in Singapore. It took us probably six months to sign, sign the young man. 
Um, but that was only after the fact that he'd moved to England to go to a private school in Wolverhampton. Um, you know, we, we saw him again. He went to the private school. We were able to sign him. But there was still so many legalities around him joining us. And that was with, you know, an English dad. Yeah. So it's tough. So what I've been trying to stress upon this stuff, Mark, is get as much international experience as you can. Uh, when we have, yeah. obviously, our player ID camps and players mm-hmm. being across to Europe to sort of learn the standard, I think that's one of the key, the key things that they have to understand. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, guys, when... If you get the opportunity to, to work with European coaches or get the opportunity to travel to Europe or any opportunity you get that's varied in soccer, you know, take the opportunity and learn. I can see there was one of the one of the boys writing notes um, on this web, webinar now. Yeah. Fantastic. Just because, just learn as much as you can. Just keep trying to be like a sponge. Just soak everything up that you can. If you work with, with Ian, great. Take everything you can. If you work with a different coach, take something else. If you come across to Europe, really take advantage of the fact that you're playing with European players, um, they've got something different. And not only just think about the football, but just speak to speak to players and find out about the background and what they do and what their school's like and lots of different things because that will help you develop as young soccer players. Um, that's so, so important. And again, me as a coach, one of my best experiences with coming over to the US and learning from, some, from good coaches and some good players because you guys have completely different experiences to ones that, that English players have. Which is good, big benefit. Um, mm. Good stuff, Mark. Well done. Um, okay, what I'll do is open things up a little bit, and maybe have these yep. guys ask some questions. Hopefully, we. Uh, I'll take the hosting back. I think here, and then I can yeah, cool. open it up for everybody. Um, I'll mute all. Okay, guys, you, you guys are up. Uh, I addressed you guys last last night and yesterday, and asked lots of questions. Uh, something Mark on the on the phone here. Let's um, let's try and uh, learn from as best we can. Okay. First question, guys. Come on. <laughs> Easy, I can go. I can go now, Joe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, buddy. So, Mark, I'll, I'll kick off. It's uh, it's Paul here. I'm a I'm a coach, not a not a player, as you can see. I'm a little old for that. Can, <laughs> can you give us? Can you give the boys some insight into what's going through your mind as a coach and an evaluator when you watch them play? So, you know, you mentioned take take advantage of opportunities. Yeah. So, imagine guys that you're you're at a trial or at a camp and there's a coach like Mark observing you. So Mark, maybe tell us about what you're looking for and what's going through your head as you see guys play. Thank you. Yeah. It's a great question, Paul. Thank you. And, um, I, I genuinely look across the sort of four corner model. So I look at technical, tactical, physical ability, but again, psychological ability as well. So what's the mentality like? Are they a good trainer? Do they work hard? Are they asking questions? Do they want to know more? How are they with their teammates socially? What are, they, what, what are they like? And then really, depending on the age, how's the technical ability? Can they pass? Can they receive the ball with good quality? And then I'll try and compare them, especially if it came to the US, compare them with somebody similar to, to an English academy player. Okay, how would they compare against a teammate of the same age? Um, and genuinely, technical ability is not too different. But the mentality, the resilience, but I'll always compare, and the physical ability is important as well. So I'm always assessing across the four corners, but in the big, big standout would be psychological ability, what's their mentality like and what's their mindset like, technical ability as well. Can they pass, can they receive, can they dominate 1v1s? Um, those are probably, just in my mind, the two biggest factors. Thank you. Thank you. Back over to Europe to sort of see how they do against the boys back there, correct? Yeah. yeah. See so much over here, but you have to sort of see how they train and interact with the boys back home, correct? Yeah. Um, and one thing I found is when I do ID camps, the standard is still quite varied. 
So you've got some excellent ability players and some good ability players. And the, the real challenge is then the excellent ability players when they come over to England, where do they sit? Are they really excellent when they come across the, the UK players or are they you know, not quite as good? And also give them time as well because it, it's, it's so difficult. The players will come over for like a week and they've got to hit the ground running in a week to get the opportunity to come back again. They've got to deal with jet lag. They've got to deal with, you know, changing environment, different hotel rooms and beds. And, you know, we're asking them to, to really compare and compete against academy players. It's so tough. So, you know, again, when Theo came across and Alex Petrovic yes. and, and Bennett, those boys who've trialled with us through through different programmes in, uh, in in US and Canada, um, they've come over for sort of three, four week periods at a time to give them a chance to, to adapt to the, to the coaching environment. And the, the, right. the well, that's important. It's an important part, isn't it? Because it's a big change to sort of step in a flight and go across and, and be at your best. Yeah. Challenges are 